The following content is provided under a Creative Commons license. Your support will help MIT OpenCourseWare continue to offer high-quality educational resources for free. To make a donation or view additional materials from hundreds of MIT courses, visit MIT OpenCourseWare at ocw.mit.edu. Today's topic is regression analysis, and uh, this subject is one that uh, we're, we're going to cover it today, covering the mathematical and statistical foundations of regression, and focused particularly on linear regression. Uh, this uh, methodology is perhaps the most powerful method in statistical modeling. Uh, and the foundations of it, I think, are very, very important to understand and master, and they'll help you uh, in any kind of statistical modeling exercise you might uh, entertain uh, during or after this course. Um, and its popularity in finance is, is very, very high, but it's also a very popular methodology in all other disciplines that uh, do applied statistics. So let's begin with uh, setting up the uh, multiple linear regression problem. So we begin with a data set that consists of data, observations on different cases, a number of cases. So we have uh, n cases indexed by i, and there's a single variable, a dependent variable, a response variable, which is the variable of focus. Um, we'll denote that y sub i. And Together with that, for each of the cases, there are explanatory variables that we might observe. So um, the uh, yi's, the dependent variables, could be returns on stocks. The uh, explanatory variables could be underlying characteristics of those stocks over a given period. Um, the uh, dependent variable could be the change in value of an index, the S&P 500 index, or the yield rate. And the explanatory variables can be various macroeconomic factors or other factors that might be used to explain how the response variable changes and takes on its value. Let's go through various goals of regression analysis. Okay, first it can be to extract or exploit the relationship between the dependent variable and the independent variable. And examples of this are prediction. Indeed, in uh, finance, that's where I've used regression analysis most. You want to predict what's going to happen and take actions to take advantage of that. Uh, one can also use regression analysis to talk about causal inference. Um, what factors are really driving a dependent variable? And so one can actually test hypotheses about what uh, are true causal uh, factors underlying the relationships between the variables. Um, another application is for just simple approximation. Um, and as mathematicians, you're all very familiar with how smooth functions can be, uh, that are smooth in the sense of being differentiable and bounded, those can be approximated well by a Taylor series. Uh, if you have a function of a single variable or even a multivariable multivariable fun function, um, so uh, one can use regression analysis to actually uh, approximate functions 
nicely. And one can also use uh, regression analysis to uncover uh, functional relationships and validate functional relationships amongst the variables. So, so let's set up the general linear model from a mathematical standpoint to begin with. In this uh, lecture, uh, okay, we're going to start off with uh, dif discussing ordinary least squares, which is a purely mathematical criterion for how you specify regression models. And then we're going to turn to uh, the Gauss-Markov theorem, which incorporates some statistical modeling principles there. They're, they're essentially weak principles. Um, and then we will turn to uh, formal models with normal linear regression models, and then consider extensions of those to uh, broader classes. So let's, now we're in the mathematical context, and a linear model uh, is basically attempting to model the conditional distribution of the response variable yi given the independent variables xi. And the conditional distribution of the response variable is modeled simply as a linear function of the independent variables. So the xi's, uh, xi1 through xip, <coughs> are the p-explanatory variables that relate to the response variables possibly, and the beta 1, beta 2, beta i are the, uh, or beta p, are the <coughs> uh, regression parameters which would be used in uh, defining that linear relationship. So this relationship has residuals epsilon i, um, you know, basically where there's uncertainty in the data, uh, whether it's either due to measurement error or modeling error or underlying stochastic processes that are driving the error. This epsilon i is a residual error variable that will uh, indicate how this linear relationship varies across the different end cases. So. Okay, now how broad are the models? Well, the models really are very uh, broad. I, uh, this, first of all, polynomial approximation that's indicated here, you know, corresponds essentially to you know a, a truncated Taylor series approximation to uh, a functional form uh, with series with with variables that e exhibit cyclical behavior. Uh, Fourier series can be. Uh, in a linear regression context. So you can basically, now how many people in here uh, are familiar with Fourier series? Okay, almost everybody. So, you know, Fourier series uh, basically provide a set of basis functions that allow you to closely approximate most functions, and certainly with bounded functions uh, that possibly have a cyclical structure to them, uh, it provides a, a complete description. So uh, we could apply Fourier series here. Uh, finally, uh, time series regressions, uh, where the cases i, 1 through n, are really indexes of different time points, can be applied. And so uh, the independent variables can be variables that are observable at a given time point or known at a given time point. So those can include lags of the response variables. 
So uh, you know, we'll see actually when we talk about time series uh, that there's autoregressive time series models that can be specified. And those are uh, very broadly applied in, uh, in finance. Okay. All right, so let's go through what the steps are for fitting a regression model. Um, first, one wants to propose a model uh, in terms of what is the, you know, we have to identify or be interested in a particular response variable. And uh, critical here is specifying the scale of that response variable. Um, you know, Chungbum was uh, discussing problems of modeling stock prices. If, say, Y is the stock price, well, it may be that it's more appropriate to consider modeling it on a logarithmic scale than on a linear scale. Um, who can tell me why that would be a good idea? Very good, yeah. So uh, price changes basically on the percentage scale, which log changes would be uh, maybe much better predicted by annoying factors than uh, the absolute price level. Um, okay, and uh, so we have to have uh, a collection of independent variables uh, which to include in the model. And it's important to think about how general this setup is. I mean, the independent variables can be functions, lagged values of the response variable. They can be different functional forms of other independent variables. So the fact that we're talking about a linear regression model here is, uh, it's not so limiting in terms of the linearity. We can really capture a lot of nonlinear behavior in this framework. So then third, we need uh, to address the assumptions about the distribution of the residuals, epsilon, over the cases. So uh, that has to be specified. Once we've set up the model in terms of you know, identifying you know, the response and explanatory variables and the assumptions underlying the distribution of the residuals, uh, we need to specify a criterion for judging different estimators. So given a particular setup, what we want to do is be able to define or a, a methodology for uh, specifying the regression parameters so that we can then use this regression model for prediction or whatever our purpose is. So um, uh, the second thing we want to do is define a criterion for how we might judge different estimators of the regression parameters. Um, we're going to go through several of those, and you'll see those. Uh, and least squares is, is the first one, but they're actually more gen general ones. In fact, the last section of this lecture on generalized M estimators will cover those as well. Okay, third, we need to characterize the best estimator and apply it to the given data. So once we choose a criterion for how good an estimate of regression parameters is, then we uh, have to have a technology for solving for that. And then uh, fourth, we need to check our assumptions. Now, uh, it's, it's very often the case that at this fourth step where you're checking the assumptions that you've made, uh, you'll discover features of your data 
uh, or the process that it's modeling that uh, make you want to expand upon your assumptions or change your assumptions. And so uh, checking the assumptions is uh, a critical part of any modeling process. And then if necessary, modify the model and assumptions and repeat this process. Um, and what I can tell you is that this uh, uh, sort of uh, protocol for how you, how you fit models is uh, you know, just what I've applied you know, many, many times. And if you are lucky in a particular problem area, the very simple models will work well and with small changes in assumptions. But when you get challenging problems, then uh, this item five of modify the model and or assumptions is, uh, is critical. And uh, in statistical modeling, uh, my philosophy is you really want to, as much as possible, tailor the model to the process you're modeling. You don't want to sort of you know, fit a square peg in a round hole and just apply, say, simple linear regressions to everything. Uh, you want to apply it when the assumptions are valid if the assumptions aren't valid, maybe you can change the specification of the problem so a linear model is still applicable in a changed uh, framework. Uh, but if not, then you'll want to extend to other kinds of models. But what we'll be doing, or what you will be doing if you do that, is basically applying all the same principles that are developed in the linear uh, modeling framework. Um, okay. Now, uh, let's see, I wanted to make some comments here. Uh, let's see, about specifying assumptions for the residual distribution. Um, what kind of assumptions might you make? Okay, would anyone like to suggest some assumptions you might make in a linear regression model for the residuals? Yes. What, what's your name, by the uh, way? My name is Will. Will, okay. Will, Will what? Uh, Asler. Asler, very good. Okay, thank you, Well, uh, It might be, or we might want to say that it, the residual might be uh, normally distributed, and it might not depend too much on uh, what value of, of the uh, input variable we choose. Yeah, okay. Uh, anyone else? Okay, well, uh, that certainly is, you know, an excellent place to start in terms of starting with a distribution that's familiar. Familiar is always good, although it's not something that should be necessary, but uh, we know from some of Chungbun's uh, lecture uh, uh, areas that Gaussian and normal distributions arise uh, in many settings where we're taking basically sums of independent random variables, and so it may be that these residuals are like that. Um, anyway, a, uh, a, a slightly simpler or uh, weaker condition is to uh, use the Gauss, what's, what, are, what are called in statistics, the Gauss Markov assumptions. And these are assumptions where we're only concerned with the means or averages, statistically, and the variances of the residuals. I mean, so we assume that they're zero mean. So on average, they're not adding they're not adding a bias up or down to the uh, dependent variable, and uh, those have a constant variance. So the level of uncertainty in our model doesn't depend on the case. And so, indeed, you know, if errors on the percentage scale were more appropriate, then one could look at 
say, a time series of prices that you're trying to model, then it may be that uh, on the log scale, that constant variance looks much more appropriate than on the original scale, which would happen. And then uh, a third uh, attribute of the Gauss-Markov assumptions is that the residuals are uncorrelated. So um, now uncorrelated does not mean independent or statistically independent. So this is a somewhat weak condition or weaker condition than independence of the residuals. But um, in the Gauss-Markov setting, we're just setting up uh, basically a reduced set of assumptions that we might apply to fit the model. Um, if we extend upon that, uh, we can then consider normal linear regression models, which uh, you know, Will had just uh, suggested. And in this case, um, those could be assumed to be independent and identically distributed. IID is that notation for that. With uh, Gaussian or normal with mean zero and variance sigma squared. Um, we can extend upon that to consider generalized Gauss-Markov assumptions, where we maintain still the zero mean for the residuals, but uh, the general uh, we might have a covariance matrix, which um, does not correspond to independent and identically distributed random variables. Now, let's see. In the uh, discussion of probability theory, I, I, we really haven't talked yet about matrix-valued random variables, right? But um, how many people in the class have covered matrix-valued or vector-valued random variables before? Okay, just a handful. Well, um, a vector-valued random variable, um, we think of the values of these n cases for the dependent variable to be an n-valued, an n-vector of uh, random variables. And so we can generalize the variance of individual random variables to the variance covariance matrix of the collection. And so you have a covariance matrix characterizing the variance of the n vector, which gives us the uh, and sort of the ij element gives us the uh, value of the uh, covariance. All right, let me uh, let me put the screen this screen up and just write that on the board so that you're familiar with that. All right. All right. So we have. y1, y2 down to yn are n values of our response variable. And we can uh, basically talk about the expectation of that being equal to uh, mu1, mu2 down to mu n. And The covariance matrix of y1, y2 down to yn is equal to a matrix with the variance of y1 in the upper 1, 1 element and the variance 
of y2 in the 2, 2 element. And the variance of yn in the nth column and nth row. And in the ijth row, ij, we have the covariance between yi and yj. So um, we're going to use matrices to represent covariances. And that's something which I want everyone to get very familiar with. Uh, because we're going to assume that we are comfortable with those and apply matrix algebra with these kinds of constructs. So, um, <clears throat> so the generalized Gauss-Markov uh, theorem assumes a general covariance matrix where you can have non-zero covariances between the independent variables or the dependent variables and the residuals and um, those can be correlated. Now, uh, who can uh, come up with an example of why the residuals might be correlated in a regression model? Okay, that, that's, that's a really good example uh, because it's nonlinear. If you imagine sort of a simple nonlinear curve and you try to fit a straight line to it, then the residuals uh, from that linear fit are going to be consistently above or below the line depending on where you are in the nonlinearity, how it might be fitting. So that's one example where that could arise. Any other possibilities? Well, uh, next week uh, we'll be talking about some time series models and there can be time dependence amongst variables where there are some underlying factors maybe that are driving the process and those underlying factors can persist in making the linear relationship over or under uh, gauge the dependent variable. So, so that, that can happen as well. All right. Um, yes. Yes. The Gauss-Markov is simply the diagonal case. and Explicitly, if we replace y's here by the residuals epsilon 1 through epsilon n, then that diagonal uh, matrix with constant covariant, constant diagonal is the Gauss mark, simple Gauss-Markov assumption. Yep. Now, I'm sure it comes as no surprise that Gaussian distributions don't always fit everything, and so. Uh, one needs to get clever with extending the uh, models to uh, other cases. And um, there are, uh, I know, Laplace distributions, Pareto distributions, contaminated normal distributions, which can be used to uh, fit regression models. And um, you know, these general cases really are, uh, you know, really extend the applicability of regression models to many interesting uh, settings. So let's turn to specifying the estimator criterion in two. So how do we judge what's a good estimate of the uh, regression parameters? Well, we're going to cover least squares, maximum likelihood, uh, robust methods, which are contamination uh, resistant. 
and uh, other methods exist that we will will mention, but uh, not get into really in the lectures are Bayes methods and accommodating incomplete or missing data. Uh, but essentially, as you uh, as your approach to modeling a problem gets more and more realistic, you start adding more and more complexity, sort of as it's needed, and uh, certainly uh, issues of um, well robust methods um, is where you assume most of the data arise under normal conditions, but once in a while there may be some, some problem with the data. Um, and uh, you don't want your methodology just to break down if, it happen if there happens to be some, some uh, outliers in the data or contamination. Uh, Bayes methodologies uh, are uh, is the technology for incorporating subjective beliefs into uh, statistical models. And I think it's fair to say that probably all statistical modeling is essentially subjective. And so if you're going to be uh, good at statistical modeling, you want to be sure that you're effectively incorporating subjective information in that. And so Bayes methodologies are, are very, very useful and indeed pretty much required to engage in appropriate modeling. Uh, and then finally, accommodating incomplete or missing data. Uh, the world is always sort of or cruel in terms of you, you often are you know, missing what you think is critical information to do your analysis. And so how do you deal with situations where you have uh, uh, some holes in your data? And uh, statistical models provide good uh, methods and tools for dealing with that situation. Um, Okay, then uh, let's see, in case analyses for, for checking assumptions, um, let me go through this. Uh, basically, when you fit a regression model, you check assumptions by looking at the residuals, which are the, basically, estimates of the, uh, the epsilons, uh, the deviations of the dependent variable from their predictions. And um, what one wants to do is, is analyze these to determine whether our assumptions are appropriate. Okay, with the Gauss-Markov assumptions, you know, it would be, are, do these appear to have constant variance? And it may be that their variance depends on time, if, it's, if the i is indexing time. Uh, the the residuals could, might depend on other variables as well, and one wants to uh, determine that that isn't the case. Um, there are also influence diagnostics, identifying cases which are highly influential. Um, it turns out that when you are building a regression model with data, um, you treat all the cases as if they're equally important. Well. It may be that certain cases are really critical to estimating certain factors. And it may be that much of the inference about how important a certain factor is is determined by a very small number of points. And so even though you have a massive data set that you're using to fit a model, it could be that uh, some of the structure is driven by a very small number of cases. So influence diagnostics give you a way of analyzing that. Um, in the problem set for this uh, lecture, um, 
you'll be deriving some influence diagnostics for linear regression models and seeing how they're mathematically defined. And I'll be distributing a case study which illustrates fitting linear regression models uh, for asset prices. And you can see how those uh, you know, play out uh, with some practical examples. Okay, finally, there's uh, outlier detection. Um, uh, with outliers, um, it's interesting, you know, the uh, sort of exceptions in data are often the most interesting. Um, when you, it, it's, it's important in, uh, in modeling to understand whether certain cases are unusual. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're degree of uh, idiosyncrasy can be explained away so that one essentially discards those outliers, but other times those uh, idiosyncrasies lead to extensions of the model. And uh, so outlier detection can be, can be very important uh, for validating a model. Okay, so with that introduction to regression, uh, linear regression, let's talk about ordinary least squares. Um, Ah. Okay. Okay. The least squares criterion is for a given regression parameter beta, which is considered to be a column vector. So I'm taking the transpose of a row vector. Um, the least squares criterion is to basically take the sum of squared deviations of the actual value of the response variable from its linear prediction. So yi minus y hat i, we're just plugging in for y hat i, the linear function of the independent variables, and uh, squaring that. And the ordinary least squares estimate, beta hat, minimizes this function. So uh, in order to solve for this, uh, we're going to use matrices. And uh, so we're going to take the y vector, the vector of n values of the dependent variable or response variable, and x, the matrix of values of the independent variables. And it's important in this setup to keep straight that cases go by rows and columns go by values of the independent variable. Where this thing is ultra sensitive. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me uh, try to turn off the touchpad there. Okay. So, so we can now define our fitted value y hat to be equal to the matrix x times beta. And with matrix multiplication, that results in the elements y hat 1 through y hat n. And q of beta can basically be written as y minus x beta transpose y minus x beta. So this term here is an n vector minus the product of the x matrix times beta, which is another n vector. And we're just taking the cross product of that. And the ordinary least squares estimate for beta uh, solves the derivative of this criterion equaling zero. Now, um, 
that's in fact true, but uh, who can tell me why that's true? I say again. Okay. So, uh, your name? Uh, Seth. 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 Very good. Seth. Thanks, Seth. So, so if if we want to find a minimum of Q, then that minimum will have, if it's a smooth function, will have a minimum at slope equals zero. Now, how do we know whether it's a minimum or not? Could be a maximum. Okay, right. So, uh, in fact, this is a Q of beta is a convex function of beta. And so its second derivative is positive. And um, if you uh, basically think about the, you know, basically this is the first derivative of Q with respect to beta equaling zero. If you were to solve for the second derivative of Q with respect to beta, well, beta is a p vector, so the second derivative is actually a second derivative matrix, and that matrix, uh, well, you can solve for it will be x transpose x, which is a positive definite or semi-definite matrix. So it basically has a positive derivative there. So, um, so anyway, so this ordinary least squares estimates will solve this. Uh, dq of beta by d beta equals zero. What is dq of beta by d beta j? Well, you just take the derivative of this sum, and so we're taking the sum of all these elements. Uh, and if you take the derivative, well, okay, the derivative is a linear operator, so the derivative of a sum is the sum of the derivatives. So we take the summation out, and we take the derivative of each term. So we get 2 minus xij, then the thing in square brackets, yi minus that. And what is that? Well, in matrix notation, if we let this sort of bold x sub squared j denote the jth column of the independent variables, then this is minus 2, basically the jth column of x transpose times y minus x beta. So this jth uh, equation uh, for nearly squares has that representation in terms and matrix notation. Now if we put that all together, uh, we basically can define this derivative of Q with respect to the different regression parameters as basically the minus twice the jth column stacked uh, times y minus x beta, which is simply minus 2x transpose y minus x beta. And this uh, has to equal 0. And um, if we just simplify, you know, taking out the 2, we get this set of equations must be satisfied by the ordinary least squares estimate beta. And that's called the normal equations in books on uh, regression modeling. So let's consider how we solve that. Well, we can re-express that by multiplying through the x transpose on each of the terms, and then 
beta hat basically solves this equation. And if x transpose x inverse exists, we get beta hat is equal to x transpose x inverse x transpose y. Um, so with uh, matrix algebra, we can actually solve this. And matrix algebra is going to be you know, very important to this lecture and other lectures. So if this stuff is, if you're a bit rusty on this, you know, do uh, brush up. Um, the, uh, uh, this particular solution for beta hat assumes that x transpose x inverse exists. Um, who can tell me what needs, or what assumptions do we need to make for x transpose x to have an inverse? I'll call you in a second if no one else does. But somebody has just said something. Okay, well, well, x transpose x inverse needs to have full rank, which means that each of the submatrices needs to have Okay, so Will said basically the matrix x needs to have full rank. And so if x has full rank, then, um, well, let's see. If x has full rank, then the singular value decomposition, which was in the very first class, can be can can exist, and you have uh, basically p singular values that are all non-zero, and x transpose x can be expressed as sort of a uh, from the singular value decomposition as one of the orthogonal matrices times the square of the di of the singular values times that same matrix transpose, if you recall that definition. So, so that actually is a you know basically pr provides a solution for x transpose x inverse, indeed, uh, from the singular value decomposition of x. But uh, what's required is that you have a full rank in x. And what that means is that you can't have independent variables that are um, explained by other independent variables. So different columns of x have to be um, Linear, or they can't linearly depend on any other columns of x. Otherwise, you would have reduced rank. Um, so now, if if beta hat doesn't uh, have full rank, then our least squares estimate of beta might be non-unique. And in fact, um, it's it is the case that if you are really interested in just predicting values of a dependent variable, then having uh, sort of non-unique least squares estimates isn't as much of a problem because you still can get estimates out of that. But, um, but for now, we want to assume that there's full column rank in the independent variables. All right. Uh, now, if we uh, plug in the value of the solution, um, for the least squares estimate, we get fitted values for the response variable, which are uh, simply the matrix x times beta hat. And this uh, expression for the fitted values 
is basically x times x transpose x inverse x transpose y, which we can represent as hy. Basically, uh, this h matrix and in, in linear models and statistics it's called the hat matrix. It's basically a projection matrix that takes the linear vector or the, the vector of, of uh, values of the response variable into the fitted values. So, uh, so this uh, hat matrix is, is, is quite important. Um, Let's see, the problem set is going to cover some features or uh, go into some properties of, of the hat matrix. Um, I don't know, does anyone have any, uh, want to make any comments about, uh, and this hat matrix is actually a very special type of matrix. Does anyone want to point out what that special type is? It's a projection matrix. Okay. And in uh, linear uh, algebra, projection matrices have some very special properties. Um, and uh, it's actually uh, an orthogonal projection matrix. And so um, if you're interested in that feature, uh, you, know, you, you should look into that. But uh, it, it's really a very sort of rich uh, set of properties associated with this hat matrix. It's, an orthogonal projection, uh, and it's let's see what's it projecting? It's projecting from n space into what? Go ahead. What's what's your name? Easton. Okay. Right. So it's 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 basically yeah. It's projecting into the column space of X. So um, that that's what uh, linear regression is doing. So. Uh, in, in focusing, in understanding linear regression, you can think of how do we get estimates of this p-vector. That's all very good and useful, and we'll do a lot of that. But you can also think of it as what's happening in the n-dimensional space. So you basically are representing this n-dimensional vector y by its projection onto the column space. And uh, all right. Now the residuals. Um, are basically the difference between the response va value and the fitted value. And this can be expressed as y minus y hat or in minus h times y. And it turns out that uh, in minus h is also a projection matrix. It is projecting the data onto the space orthogonal to the column space of x. And uh, to show that that's true, if we consider the normal equations, which are x transpose y minus x beta hat equaling 0, that basically is x transpose epsilon hat equals 0. And so from the normal equations, we can see that what they mean is they mean that the residual vector epsilon hat is orthogonal to each of the columns of x. So you take any column in x, multiply that by the residual vector, and you get 0 coming out. So uh, that, that's a feature of the uh, residuals as they relate to the independent variables. 
Okay. All right. So, um, so at this point, we've gone through really not talking about any statistical properties to specify the betas. All we've done is talked, we've introduced the least squares criterion and said what value of the beta vector minimizes that least squares criterion. Let's turn to uh, the Gauss-Markov theorem and start introducing some uh, statistical properties, probability properties. So with our data y and x, yes, yes. That epsilon. Okay, that, let me go back to that. Um, it, it, it's it's that x the columns of x and the column vector of the residual it are orthogonal to each other. So uh, we're not doing a projection onto a null space. It's we're just. This is just a statement that those um, values are, or those column vectors are orthogonal to each other. And just to recap, the uh, epsilon is a projection of y onto the space orthogonal to the column space, and y hat is the projection onto the column space of y. And, uh, these or projections are, are, are orthogonal projections, and so uh, they, they happen to uh, result in sort of the, the projected value epsilon hat must be orthogonal to the column space of x if, it's, if you project it out that. Okay? All right. So the Gauss-Markov theorem. We have data y and x again, uh, and now we're going to think of the observed data, little y1 through yn, is actually an observation of the random vector, capital Y, composed of random variables, y1 to up to yn. And the expectation of this vector, conditional on the values of the independent variables and the regression parameters given by x beta, so the dependent variable vector has expectation given by the product of the independent variables matrix times the regression parameters. And the covariance matrix of Y, given X and beta, is sigma squared times the identity matrix, the n-dimensional identity matrix. So the identity matrix you know, has ones along the diagonal, n-dimensional, and zeros off the diagonal. So the variances of the y's are the diagonal entries. Those are all the same sigma squared. And the covariances between any two are uh, equal to 0 conditional. Right. Now, OK, now the Gauss-Markov theorem, uh, this uh, is, is a, I know, sort of a, a terrific result in linear models theory. And it's uh, terrific in terms of sort of the mathematical content of it. Um, I think it's, uh, I mean, for a math class, it's really a, a nice theorem to introduce you to and sort of highlight the power of, uh, 
of, uh, I guess, results that can arise from, from applying the theory. Um, and so uh, to set this theorem up, we want to think about um, trying to estimate some function of their aggression parameters. And so, okay, our problem is uh, with ordinary least squares was how do we specify the regression parameters beta 1 through beta p? Let's consider a general you know, quantity target of interest, which is a linear combination of the betas. So we want to predict a, a parameter theta, which is some linear combination of the regression parameters. And because that linear combination of the regression parameters corresponds to sort of the uh, expectation of the response variable corresponding to a given row of the independent variables matrix. This is just a generalization of trying to estimate the means of the regression model at different points in the space or to be estimating other quantities that, that might uh, arise. So, so this is really a very general kind of thing to want to estimate. It certainly is appropriate for predictions. Um, and if we consider the least squares estimate by just plugging in beta hat 1 through beta hat p solved by the least squares, well, um, it turns out that uh, those are an unbiased estimator of the parameter theta. So if we're trying to estimate this combination of these unknown parameters, you plug in the least squares estimates, you're going to get an estimator that's unbiased. Um, who can tell me what unbiased is? That's probably a new concept for some people here. Anyone? Okay, well, it's a basic property of uh, estimators and statistics where the expectation of this uh, statistic is the true parameter. So it doesn't, on average, probabilistically, it doesn't over or underestimate the value. So that's what unbiased means. Now, it's also a linear estimator of theta in terms of this theta hat being a particular linear combination of the dependent variables. So with our original response variable y, what with case of y1 through yn, this theta hat is simply a linear combination of all the y's. And now, why is that true? Well, we know that beta hat from the normal equations is solved by x transpose x inverse x transpose y. So it's a linear transform of the y vector. So if we take a linear combination of those components, it's also another linear combination of the y vector. So, so this is a linear function of the underlying, uh, of the response variables y. Now, <coughs> The Gauss-Markov theorem says that uh, if the Gauss-Markov assumptions apply, then the estimator theta hat has the smallest variance amongst all linear unbiased estimators of theta. So it actually is like the optimal one, so long as this is the right criteria. And, and this is really a very powerful result. Um, and uh, to prove it, it's, it's very easy. Um, let's see. Actually, these notes are going to be distributed. So I'm going to 
to go through this very, very quickly um, and come back to it later if we have more time. But uh, you basically, the argument for the proof here is you consider another linear estimate, which is also an unbiased estimate. So let's consider a competitor to the least squares <coughs> of value. And then look at the difference between that estimator and theta hat. And so uh, that can be characterized as basically this vector f transpose y. And this difference in the estimates must have expectation 0. So basically, if we look at if theta tilde is unbiased, then this expression here is going to be equal to 0, which means that f, the sort of difference in these two estimators, um, or the difference, f defines the difference in the two estimators, has to be orthogonal to the column space of x. And um, with this uh, result, one then uh, uses this orthogonality of f and d to evaluate the variance of theta tilde. And, and in this proof, the mathematical argument here is, is really something, I, I should put some asterisks, uh, a few lines here. This expression here is actually very important. Um, we're basically looking at the decomposition of the variance to be the variance of B transpose Y, which is the variance of the sum of these two random variables. So the page before basically defines D and F such that this is true. Now, when you consider the variance of a sum, it's not the sum of the variances. It's the sum of the variances plus twice the sum of the covariances. And so when you are calculating uh, variances of sums of random variables, you have to really keep track of the covariance terms. And in this case, this argument shows that the covariance terms are, in fact, 0. And you get the result popping out. Um, but uh, that's really a, uh, I don't know, it's a, in, in econometrics class, I'll, I'll talk about blue estimates of uh, regression, or the blue property of, of least squares estimates. That's what, where that comes from. All right, so let's now consider generalizing uh, from Gauss-Markov to allow for unequal variances and possibly correlated uh, non-zero covariances between, between the components. And um, in this case, uh, the regression model has the same linear setup. The only difference is the expectation of the residual vector is still zero, but the covariance matrix of the residual vector is sigma squared, a single parameter times, say, capital sigma. And uh, we'll assume here that this capital sigma matrix is a known n by n positive definite matrix specifying relative variances and correlations between the observations. Uh, um, Okay. 
Well, in order to solve for regression estimates um, under these uh, generalized Gauss-Markov assumptions, we can transform the data yx to y star equals sigma to the minus a half y and x to x to x star, which is sigma to the minus a half x. And this model <coughs> then becomes a model, a linear regression model in terms of y star and x star. We're basically multiplying this regression model by sigma to the minus a half across. And epsilon star actually has covariance matrix equal to sigma squared times the identity. So if we just take a linear transformation of the original data, we get a representation of the regression model that satisfies the original Gauss-Markov assumptions. And what we had to do was basically do a linear transformation that makes the response variables all have constant variance and be uncorrelated. So, uh, so with that, um, we then have the least squares estimate of beta is the least squares, the ordinary least squares in terms of y star and x star. And so plugging that in, we basically have x star transpose x star inverse x star transpose y star. And if you multiply it through, that's how it, the formula changes. So, and so this formula characterizing the least squares estimate under this generalized set of assumptions um, sort of highlights what we're trying, or what you need to do to make the, to, to be able to apply that theorem. So with response values that have very large variances, you basically want to sort of discount those by the sigma inverse. And, uh, you know, that's uh, part of the way in which these generalized least squares work. All right. So now let's turn to uh, distribution theory for normal regression models. Um, <coughs> let's assume that the residuals are normals with mean zero and variance sigma squared. Um, okay, the y conditioning on the values of the independent variables, the y's, the response variables are going to be independent over uh, the index i. They're not going to be identically distributed because they have different means, mu i for the uh, dependent variable y i, but they will have a constant variance. And uh, what we can do is basically condition on x, beta, and sigma squared, and then represent this model in terms of the distribution of the epsilons. So if we're conditioning on x and beta, this x beta is a constant known. We've conditioned <coughs> on it. And the remaining uncertainty is in the residual vector, which is assumed to be uh, all or independent and identically distributed normal random variables. Now this is the first time you'll see this notation, capital N sub little n, for a random vector. It's, it's a multivariate normal 
random variable where you consider an n vector where each component is normally distributed with mean given by some mean corresponding mean vector and a covariance matrix given by <coughs> a covariance <coughs> matrix. Um, in terms of independent and identically distributed values, the, the, the probability structure here is totally well defined. You know, anyone, of you, anyone here who's taken the beginning probability class knows what the density function is for this multivariate normal distribution because it's the product of the independent uh, density functions for the independent components because they're all independent random variables. So, so this multivariate normal random vector has a density function which you can write down given just your first probability class. Um, <coughs> okay, here I'm just highlighting the, uh, or defining the mu vector for the means of the n cases of, of the data. And the covariance matrix, sigma, is this diagonal matrix. Um, and so basically sigma ij is uh, equal to uh, basically sigma squared times the Kronecker delta uh, for the ijth element. Now, uh, it to what we want to do is under the assumptions of normally distributed uh, residuals to solve for the <coughs> distribution of the least squares estimators. We want to know basically what kind of distribution does it have because what we want to be able to do is to determine whether estimates are particularly large or not. I mean, maybe there's no structure at all and we regression parameters are zero uh, so that there's no dependence on a given factor and we need to be able to judge how significant that is. So we need to know what the uh, distribution is of our uh, least squares estimate. So what we're going to do is apply moment generating functions to derive the joint distribution of y and the joint distribution of beta hat. And so Chungbum uh, introduced the moment generating function for individual random variables, uh, for single variant random variables, for n variant random variables. Uh, we can define the moment generating function of the y vector to be the expectation of e to the t transpose y. So t is an argument of the moment generating function. It's another n vector. And it's equal to the expectation of e to the t1 y1 plus t2 y2 up to tn yn. So this is a very simple definition. Um, because of independence, the expectation of the products of, or this exponential sum is the product of the exponentials. And so this moment generating function is simply the uh, product of the moment generating functions for y1 up through yn. And I think, I don't know if it was in the first problem set or in the first lecture, but e to the ti mu i plus a half ti squared sigma squared was the moment generating function for a single univariate normal random variables mean ui invariant sigma squared. And so if we have n of these, we take their product and the moment generating function for y is simply e to the t transpose mu plus a half t transpose sigma t. And so 
for this multivariate normal distribution, this is its moment generating function. And this happens to be the, uh, the, or the, the distribution of y is a multivariate normal with mean mu and covariance matrix sigma. So uh, a fact that we're going to use is that if we're working with multivariate normal random variables, this is the structure of their moment generating functions. And so if we solve for the moment generating function of some other item of interest and recognize that it has the same form, we can then conclude that it's also a multivariate normal random variable. So let's do that. Let's solve for the uh, moment generating function of the least squares estimate beta hat. So now, rather than dealing with an n vector, we're dealing with a p vector of the betas, beta hats. And this is simply the definition of the moment generating function. If we <coughs> plug in for uh, basically what the functional form is for the ordinary least squares estimates and how they depend on the underlying y, then we basically, okay, we have A equal to essentially the linear projection of y that gives us the least squares estimate. And then we can say that this moment generating function for beta hat is equal to E, the expectation of E to the T transpose Y, where little t is A transpose tau. So what well we know what this is, this is the moment generating function of X, sorry, of Y, evaluated at the vector little t. And so we just need to plug in the little t that expression a transpose tau. So let's do that. And you do that, and it turns out to be e to t transpose mu plus that. And we go through a number of calculations. And at the end of the day, we get that the <coughs> moment generating function is just e to the tau <coughs> transpose beta plus a half tau transpose this matrix tau. And that is the moment generating function of a multivariate normal. So, so these few lines that you can go through after class uh, basically solve for the moment generating function of beta hat. And because we can recognize this as the MGF of a multivariate normal, we know that that's, it's, it is, beta hat is a multivariate normal with mean, the true beta, and covariance matrix given by the object in square brackets there. Okay, so, so this is essentially the conclusion of that previous analysis. Um, the marginal distribution of each of the beta hats is given by beta hat, uh, by the, uh, a univariate normal distribution with mean beta j and variance equal to the diagonal. Now, um, at this point, saying that um, is like a, an assertion. Um, but one can actually prove that very easily given sort of this sequence of arguments. And can anyone tell me why this is true? Well, let me tell you. It's if you consider plugging in the moment generating function, 
the value tau where only the jth entry is non-zero, then you have the moment generating function of the jth component of beta hat. And that's a Gaussian moment generating function. So the marginal distribution of the jth component is normal. So you get that almost for free from this multivariate analysis. Um, and th so there's no hand-waving going on in, in having that result. It actually follows directly from the moment-generating functions. Okay, let's uh, now turn to another topic uh, related, but it's the QR decomposition of X. Um, so we have, with our independent variables, um, X, we want to express this as a product of an orthonormal matrix, Q, which is n by p, and an upper triangular matrix R. Um, so uh, it turns out that any matrix, n by p matrix, can be expressed in this form. And we'll quickly show you how that uh, can be accomplished. We can accomplish that by uh, conducting a Gram-Schmidt orthonormalization of the independent variables matrix X. And uh, let's see. So if we define R, the upper triangular matrix in the QR decomposition, to have basically zeros off the diagonal below <coughs> and then possibly non-zero values along the diagonal and to the right, we're just going to solve for Q and R through this Gram-Schmidt uh, process. So the first column of X is equal to the first column of Q times the first element, the top left corner of the matrix R. And if we take sort of the cross product of that vector with itself, then we get this expression for R11 squared. It's, we can basically solve for R11 as the square root of this dot product. And Q1 is simply the first column of X divided by that square root. So this first element of the Q matrix and the first element R, you know, this can be solved for right away. Then let's solve for the, uh, some other, this, the second uh, column of Q. And, uh, the uh, second column of the R matrix. Well, X2, the second column of the X matrix, is the uh, first column of Q times R, R12 and the sec plus the second column of Q times R22. And if we multiply this expression by Q1 transpose, then we basically get this expression for R12. So we actually have just solved for R12. And Q2 is, um, is solved for, uh, you know, by the arguments given here. So basically, we, we sort of successively are orthogonalizing columns of X to the previous columns of X through this Gram-Schmidt process. 
and it basically can be repeated through all the columns. Um, now, with this QR decomposition, what we get is a really nice form for the least squares estimate. Basically, it simplifies to the inverse of R times Q transpose Y. And um, this uh, basically means that you can solve for least squares estimates by calculating the QR decomposition, which is a very simple linear algebra operation, and then just do a couple of matrix products to get the, uh, well, you do have to do a matrix inverse with R uh, to get that out. Um, and the covariance matrix of beta hat is equal to sigma squared x transpose x inverse. And uh, in terms of the covariance matrix, what is uh, implicit here, but you should make explicit in your study, is if you consider um, <coughs> taking a matrix R inverse Q transpose times Y, the only thing that's random there is that Y vector. Okay, the covariance of a matrix times a random vector is that matrix times the covariance of the vector times the transpose of the matrix. So if you take a matrix transformation of a random vector, then the covariance of that transformation has that form. So that's where this covariance uh, matrix is coming into play. Um, and from the MGF, the moment generating function for the least squares estimate, this uh, basically comes out of the moment generating function definition as well. And uh, if we take x transpose x, plugging in the R QR decomposition, only the R's uh, play out, giving you that. Now, this also gives us a very nice form for the hat matrix, which is uh, turns out to just be Q times Q transpose. So um, that's uh, a very simple form. Um, and uh, so now, uh, with the distribution theory, this next section is going to um, actually prove what's really a, a fundamental result about normal linear regression models. And I'm going to go through this somewhat quickly uh, just so that we cover what the main ideas are of the theorem. But um, the details, I think, are, are very straightforward. And these course notes that will be posted online shall go through the various steps of the analysis. But um, the, uh, okay. So there's an important theorem here, which is for any matrix A, M by N, you consider transforming the random vector Y by this matrix A. It is also a random normal vector. And its distribution is going to have a mean and covariance matrix given by mu Z and sigma Z, which have this simple uh, expression in terms of the matrix A and the underlying means and covariances of Y. 
Okay, earlier we actually applied this theorem with A corresponding to the matrix that generates the least squares estimates. So with A equal to X transpose X inverse, we actually previously went through the solution for what's the distribution of beta hat. And with any other matrix A, we can go through the same analysis and get the distribution. So, um, so if we do that here, well, we can actually prove this important theorem, which says that um, with least squares estimates of linear regre normal linear regression models, our least squares estimate beta hat and our residual vector epsilon hat are independent random variables. So when we construct these statistics, they are statistically independent of each other. And the distribution of beta hat is multivariate normal. The sum of the squared residuals is in fact a multiple of a chi-squared random variable. Now, um, who in here uh, can tell me what a chi-squared uh, random variable is? Anyone? Yes, that's right. So a chi-squared random variable with one degree of freedom is the sum of is a squared normal zero-one random variable. A chi-squared with two degrees of freedom is a sum of two independent normals. 0, 1 squared. And so the sum of n squared residuals is, in fact, an n minus p chi-squared random variable scaled up by sigma squared. And for each uh, component j, um, if we take the uh, difference between the least squares estimate beta hat j and beta j and divide through by this estimate of the uh, standard deviation of that, then um, that will, in fact, have a t distribution on n minus p degrees of freedom. And um, let's see, a t distribution in probability theory is the ratio of a normal random variable to an independent chi-squared random variable, or, or the root of an independent chi-squared random variable. So um, th the f basically, these properties uh, characterize our uh, regression parameter estimates and t-statistics for those estimates. Um, now, okay, in the uh, course notes, there's a, a moderately long proof, but all the details are given and I'll be happy to go through any, the, any of those details with people during office hours. Um, let me just push on to let's see, we have maybe two minutes left in the class. <laughs> um, let me just uh, talk <coughs> about maximum likelihood estimation and in uh, fitting models and statistics, maximum likelihood estimation comes up again and again. And with uh, 
normal linear regression models, it turns out that ordinary least squares estimates, in fact, are maximum likelihood estimates. Um, and what we want to do with uh, in maximum likelihood is to maximize, or we want to define the likelihood function, which is the density function for the data given the unknown parameters. And this density function is simply the density function for a multivariate normal random variable. And the, the maximum likelihood estimates are the estimates of the underlying parameters that basically maximize the density function. So it's the values of the underlying parameters that make the data that was observed the most likely. Um, and if you plug in the values of the density function, um, basically we have these independent random variables, yi, whose product is the joint density. The uh, likelihood function turns out to be basically a function of the least squares criterion. So, so if you fit models by least squares, you're consistent with doing something decent, at least applying the maximum likelihood principle, if you had a normal linear regression model. And um, it's, it's useful to know when your statistical estimation uh, algorithms are consistent with certain uh, principles like maximum likelihood estimation or others. Um, so let me, uh, I guess, finish there. And uh, next time I will uh, just talk a little bit about generalized M estimators. Um, those provide sort of a class of estimators that can be used for fitting robust, uh, uh, finding robust estimates and also quantile uh, estimates of regression parameters, which uh, are very interesting.